foes, they're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before, been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. Go pink for freedom, go pink for peace. Code Pink by Emma's Revolution. I am Grace of Code Pink. Welcome to our Code Pink radio show presented by WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City, WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C., KPFT 90.1 FM in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, and many other community radio stations like Western Mass Community Broadcasting, WMCB LP 107.9 FM. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check out our website at www.codepink.org radio, where you will find all of our episodes from episode one to our most recent. Hi, folks. Uh, I am joined today by Issa Gonzalez. Issa is a Code, Pink, is Code Pink's LA office coordinator and many other millions of tasks that she does every single day um Issa this is a very busy time of year for us there's so much going on thank you so much for joining us today thank you Grace um really uh, appreciate the introduction and I'm super excited to get into what we have planned for International Women's Day it's been so fun to work with you and every all the folks that have contributed over at Code Pink and our awesome um, coalition partners as well Oh my goodness. I love doing anything with you. So this has been such a fun, chaotic time, but like a great time. <laughs> um, but yeah, as Issa said, we have been part of coordinating Code Pink's International Women's Day events, as well as just our Women's History events, Women's History Month events, uh, and outreach. And we are so excited to discuss what folks can look forward to. And also just how we came about planning all this and the themes and the values um, and the history that we have found throughout looking through our past Code Pick events and initiatives and actions. And actions. Um, so we'll be discussing the history of International Women's Day, Code Pink's contribution to the historic day, as well as the interconnections between the fight against militarism and the fight against the patriarchy and the need for a feminist foreign policy. Um, so yeah, I'm going to let Issa kind of talk about the beginning histories of International Women's Day. So take it away. Awesome. Yes, super beneficial to get into the brief history of IWD. And like you mentioned, um, Code Pink's contribu contributions and connections to the day. So let's get into it. The first official National Women's Day held in New York City on February 28, 1909. You know, thousands of people showed up to various events, uniting for the suffragists and socialist causes, whose goals had often been at odds. By the outbreak of World War I in 1914, most of these attempts at social reform were kind of halted, you know, because a lot of um, people were going off to war and holding things down back at home. But these women continued to march and demonstrate on IWD. 
Up until the mid-1970s, International Women's Day would be celebrated primarily in socialist countries, given the socialist um, roots of this day. But the idea to make the day international comes from a woman. Um, her name was Clara Zetkin, a communist activist and advocate for women's rights. She suggested the idea in 1910 at an international conference of working women in Copenhagen. There were around 100 women there from 17 countries, and they agreed on her suggestion unanimously. It was first internationally celebrated in 1911 in Austria, Denmark, Germany, and Switzerland. Things were made official in 1975 when the UN started celebrating the day. The first theme adopted by the UN in 1996 was celebrating the past, planning for the future. Finally, by 2014, it was celebrated in more than 100 countries and has been made an official holiday in more than 25. Thank you, Isa, for reminding us of that history. And I think as we go through this history and we see the current actions and events happening around the world for Women's History Month, last month for Black History Month, and for International Women's Day, we must remind ourselves that these days of celebration and reflection and action started with striking and protest. It was on March 8th, 1857, that in New York City, thousands of garment workers went on strike from suffering horrific conditions, endless hours, and low pay. They took to the streets demanding better money and better working conditions. After being attacked and dispersed by the police, these women continued to fight for their movement and in doing so created the first women's labor movements. In connection um, to International Women's Day being about action and being about protest and and mobilizing, I think, to a quote from Michelle from our Code Pink Latin America team. She writes, we know that patriarchy and militarism have so much in common. Hierarchy, violence, authoritarianism, disregard for life, for human beings in the environment, exclusion, control. Both seek to repress dissent and defend the interests of the ruling class. Not only do they share anti-values, but they complement each other. One needs the other. The patriarchal domination that has concentrated 82% of global wealth and 1% of the population through exploiting our territories and appropriating our labor force has used militarism to maintain the status quo. We know that feminism is rooted in ending all systems of domination, exploitation, and violence. As anti-imperialist and pro-peace feminists, we understand that under militarized and racialized patriarchal capitalism, life is not possible. That is why on International Women's Day, we invite you to mobilize, organize, strike, walk out, boycott, and disrupt, to organize educational events, to create feminist art. We raise our voices for peace and diplomacy, denounce the cost of war, and demand a peace economy where people are above profits and life-affirming solidarity systems are above war and militarism. And I thank, I thank Michelle so much for this statement, and I, I thank all of our campaigns because as Issa and I were in conversation with each other and with everybody at Code Pink, as well as our community organizations and members, we were relating all of our objectives and campaign strategies and actions to the core values of International Women's Day and to the core contextualization of feminism, 
and feminists saying no to war and feminists against militarism. And as it always is around IWD, it was a wonderful experience to see the interconnections between all of our campaigns and movements around the world and to really understand the heart of what it looks like to be doing solidarity work in um, divestment and demilitarization demilitarization movements. Um, I think specifically when I was reflecting all of this, reflecting on all of this, I thought of the current feminist uprisings in Iran, of which are in response to Masa Amini's death, but are also a continuation of a four-decade-long percolation of longtime grievances. These are protests against the morality police, but are also fighting against core values of oppression and of the patriarchy, both in the streets and in the home. Nargis Baholi, an assistant professor of Middle Eastern Studies at the School of Advanced International Studies at John Hopkins, wrote in Vanity Fair, It is only fitting that it's Iran's feminist revolution and the country's young generations that are the ones on the front line of the battles for bodily autonomy and sovereignty. For four decades, Iranian women and queer people have borne the brunt of political systems predicated on their subjugation through daily policing and criminalization. They're now showing the world, despite the severe repression and potential death they face, how to fight back like feminists. As movements around the world rooted in anti-war, anti-imperialist divestment agendas continue to evolve and grow, so does, I believe, our necessities for days like International Women's Day, especially as they're contextualized to militarism and patriarchal harm, like the Iranian feminist uprisings. 21 trillion taxpayer dollars in the United States has been stolen to kill over 1.5 million people in endless wars around the world. As multiple statements from Copink have stated, it is beyond time to stand in the face of this extraction, destruction, and oppression and say no more. By, di by divesting from and organizing against war, militarism, imperialism, and capitalism, we are also divesting from violence against our own communities, of which includes sexism, gendered violence, homophobia, and transphobia. I'm brought back to quotes that I've read from the day that Code Pink was created from Starhawk, who writes, we cannot morally consent to war while passive peace and negotiations have not been pursued to their fullest. If we cannot afford health care, quality education, and quality of life, how can we afford to squander our resources in attacking countries that have proven no immediate threat to us? We face real threats every day. Now, as we have heard the history, and later I'll be in discussion with Issa about the actual organizing for this day and the values and missions that have contributed to Code Pink's International Women's Day Coalition, but also International Women's Day in general, I want to include a clip 
from 2011 um, from Boston. It was a anti-war International Women's Day protest that was led by Code Pink, as well as the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and had speakers from Veterans for Peace, as well as many other organizations. And I think it is important to not only talk about the history, but also to listen and to actually hear the words from past organizers and how they still ring true to the current movements and organizing and actions that we are doing today. Boston today and sing our simple song, a song for jobs and justice, one nation proud and strong. It's time to tell Obama we won't take it anymore. We demand a peace economy, no more money for the war. No more money for war. sense to me. These were seeing very wrong, very pointless. We know 
thousands of people are dying, U.S. service people, we know civilians are dying in Iraq and Afghanistan. And at some point, as much as it was ingrained in me not to speak out in public against war, you, you reach the point where sparing feelings isn't as important as sparing lives. Call city life. They're the ones folks that right in front of their faces help preserving their homes do all the work on the ground. So let's hear it from Melanie who's going to tell us about herself and sitting here. Right? Hello, hello everyone. How's everyone feeling out there? I'm not great with singing, but I'm a rallyer, guys. I'm a right? We're all out here today to celebrate International Women's Day. And we're going to make enough noise about it this year so that next year we get double the amount of women out here. Raise our numbers so that everybody knows there's lots of great work being done in this city, not just in the city, but in our state. A lot of great work that's led by women. At City Life, we fight every day to teach people how to get their voice back, how to use their voice how to not be afraid to speak out because the system has us stifled. They have us thinking that if we speak out, it's a bad thing. We have to not be afraid of this. There are many families in our room that are affected by the fact that we're not bringing our war dollars home. We teach people how to make connections. We're all in our rooms for housing and issues around housing. But when we learn how to make the connections, we realize that there are families in there that are affected by the jobs crisis. There are families that are affected by the crisis that's following immigrant workers and immigration crisis. There are families that have people overseas on active duty fighting wars for this country while their parents are being evicted out of their housing. Out of all of these crises, we can build leaders. We can take back our cities. We can make demands that nobody ever thinks will work. Thank you, Rachel. From Afghanistan to Egypt to Wisconsin and Massachusetts, let's bring our war dollars home! <laughs> Bombing Afghanistan, occupying Iraq, and maintaining a thousand military bases around the globe costs billions a week! <laughs> and aid to dictators like Mubarak and rogue states like Israel cost U.S. taxpayers billions a year! <laughs> Meanwhile, domestic programs like heating assistance for low-income families and public workers like firefighters and teachers see their budgets slashed. <laughs> People everywhere are rising up to demand money for jobs, housing, and education, not for wars and occupation. <laughs> and with fuel and food prices continuing to rise, these movements will continue to grow. When public employees like the state of Wisconsin or Massachusetts try to scapegoat public employees, sorry, when public employers try to scapegoat public employees and make them pay the cost of the fiscal crisis with their wages, benefits, and pensions, we need to make some basic points. Public workers and workers generally did not create this crisis. <laughs> Their wages and benefits are not what caused the deficit. The crisis is a product of greed and fraud on Wall Street. 
whose irresponsible speculation drove the economy into the toilet and produced recession that has drastically cut into our tax revenues. The crisis was created by a tax policy that's given one tax break after another to the wealthiest Americans and to big corporations, many of which used those funds to ship jobs to other countries, and some of which pay no taxes at all, like Boeing, Citigroup, Bank of America, GE, and ExxonMobil. This unfair tax shift deprived the government of revenues and pushed the burden onto the backs of working people. The crisis is a result of decades of ever-escalating military expenditures for wars our country never should have started and in support of an international network of a thousand military bases that make us no safer and cost us more than 300 billion per year, not counting the wars. The total deficit, the total deficit of all the states together is about $130 billion. This year, the U.S. will spend another $118 billion on just the wars and occupations, plus another $7.5 billion to maintain our nuclear arsenal. We must reject the Koch brothers' divide-and-conquer strategy and unite public and private sector workers to make a just economy that works for everyone rather than one that serves only the privileged, wealthy elite. Feminist foreign policy responds to how patriarchy inflates ever-increasing military spending, along with military recruitment and squandering of human and financial resources needed for social development and environmental-oriented sectors, policies, and activities. We will now reflect on a brief clip from Humanity Rising, Day 643, the summit on Ukraine, the cost of war, with Jody Evans, Teddy Oldborn, and Wei Yu from Code Pink. They will be discussing the environmental impacts of violence and war and the effects from the war on Ukraine in relation to China. I'm someone who, at a certain point, I read a certain just a certain number of articles and figures around climate change and how much time that we actually have to address it. And I felt like I really needed to pivot. I, I realized at that moment that our governments, certainly not our corporations, are going to stop this crisis. It doesn't stop until we stop it. Um, and I was fortunate enough when I moved to New York a little over a year ago to begin working with some really powerful climate activists that were also peace activists and had associations and worked with Code Pink. And from then, from them, I, I began to learn about the intersections of, of peace, anti-militarism, and the climate crisis and environmental justice. And I was at the time, it's it's funny to look back at it now, at the time I was shocked to see sort of how intertwined these issues are. And I was shocked because it, it's not spoken about that way. Um, sometimes in within sort of both of those movements, right? I mean, I have to talk about them as though they're distinct and they certainly aren't, but um, at least within the climate movement, I quickly realized that there is a huge need for this education, which Jody has really aptly identified, you know, ed education is the most important part of peace work. And, and as she just said, again, really aptly, you know, if, if we did all have a true understanding of, 
you know, what our government is and isn't doing, and we could feel that in its fullness every day, we would be out in the streets constantly. That's what's moving me to the streets. It's moving, that's what's moving me to do some of this educational work with everyone here today. So I thank you for providing this space for me to share a little bit about that. Um, so <clears throat> the wing campaign, War is Not Green, um, I would say this, the, the way that uh, this campaign often thinks about itself and messages um, is very broadly twofold. One is we're talking about redistribution of money, right? So, um, and this is in tandem with things like the Cut the Pent Pentagon campaign. Um, but uh, I'm sure most people on this call are familiar with the massive amount of money that our government and our taxpayers put into US militarism and US aggression abroad. Um, the most recent budget for 2023, I think about $853 billion has been approved for the Pentagon. Um, and almost half of that is earmarked for private military contractors like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. So that's one factor, um, and that's just for our military budget presently. Um, and then the other factor that we're looking at is military emissions, right? So this is something that I was shocked about a year ago to learn, and now I make sure everybody I meet knows it. The US military is the planet's biggest institutional emitter of fossil fuels. It is the biggest, dirtiest polluter on the planet. It is a greater polluter than about 50 countries combined on the planet. And if you take all the sum of all global militaries, um, that attributes about 6% of all of the emissions, all of the greenhouse gas emissions that this planet is experiencing right now and warming because of. So, of course, when you learn all this, um, you realize something that many scientists have, you know, have uttered themselves, which is we actually cannot meaningfully address the climate crisis until we meaningfully address militarism domestically and abroad, right? These things are interlinked. And if we do simply, you know, and uh, put up more solar panels, for example, that's not going to stop the cycle of acquisition that's happening with oil abroad um, and U.S. imperialism abroad. The war in Ukraine and the U.S. aggression towards China have a lot of um, interactive, interconnected part, because as uh, the U.S. is realizing that it's not winning this proxy war that's uh, funded through means of sending weapons uh, to Ukraine, it's uh, starting to drum up aggression towards China and again bring us closer to another war with a nuclear power. So as uh, we see in the last year, a lot of the um, aggression towards China, whether that's militarizing the Asia Pacific um, or uh, with this idea of competition, quote unquote competition with China, they're actually using Ukraine as an excuse to justify all of this aggression. Um, for example, um, um, with Ukraine, uh, the U.S. is, see, is viewing China as an uh, enemy, as our campaign name says, and is using it as an excuse to arm and militarize the Asia-Pacific as part of this uh, quote-unquote deterrence policy. But really, weapons kill. Weapons don't uh, deter war. Weapons escalate war. And we see that with Taiwan, with the National Defense Authorization Act for this year's uh, promising $10 billion of arms sale to Taiwan. And as um, uh, our speakers previously testified, this amount of taxpayer money 
could have been spent to address the most urgent need of people, be that housing or healthcare or education at home. Um, uh, outside of Taiwan, in other places in the Asia Pacific, um, the U.S. is also building a military uh, infrastructures and destroying people's lives and their home. So, uh, for example, in Guam, the U.S. military is violating the sovereignty of the people of Guam because they're constructing a, a new military base and they're doing this without the consent of the people. And actually, the construction is faced, has faced opposition from indigenous activists because they're building uh, military facilities on ancestral burial ground and on habitats of in, uh, endangered species. They're killing people's past by destroying important cultural artifacts, and they're destroying people's future by contaminating their drinking water. Similarly, uh, in Red Hill in Hawaii, uh, the U.S. military is also killing people with all the oil spills. And similarly, in Okinawa, the U.S. military base there is also destroying their pristine environment. And the most the most important thing to take from all of this is that the people in the Asia Pacific don't want war. They don't want the, to be dragged into a potential nuclear war, and they don't want their home to be turned into battlefield. Thank you so much for listening to A Brief History of International Women's Day and Code Pink's contributions to Women's Day and getting some firsthand testimony from the past years of organizing on International Women's Day with Code Pink. Thank you so much to Issa and to our listeners. Um, we will be hearing from Issa later as we discuss kind of more of the values and missions surrounding International Women's Day 2023. You are listening to Code Pink Radio, coming to you through Pacifica's radio WPFW in Washington, D.C., WBAI in New York City, KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 Los Angeles. We'll be back after this break with you and Issa to discuss more about International Women's Day. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. Feeling good Fish in the sea You know how I feel River running free You know how I feel Blossom on the tree You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. Dragonfly out in the sun, you know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun, you know what I mean? Sleep in peace when day is done, that's what I mean. 
Welcome back. I am Grace, the Feminist Foreign Policy Project Coordinator here at Code Pink. Uh, you are listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., KPFT in Houston, KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for joining us um, at the start of Women's History Month um, in the midst of International Women's Day. We're so excited to be talking in conversation about the physical day as well as Code Pink's contributions to it. And yeah, as I said before, me and Issa have really been working hard to coordinate this with our fellow Code Pink uh, peers and community members. And Issa, I would just love to hear about how it's been collecting materials for International Women's Day this year. What did you learn about Coping's history around International Women's Day? Has anything in particular caught your interest? Yeah, thank you, Grace. Um, I think the most fascinating part while collecting my materials, while, you know, diving into that Code Pink history is just finding out how active Code Pink has been, not only with IWD, but our, you know, vast campaigns. But um, for example, around 20 years ago, Jody, one of the co-founders of Code Pink, was telling me um, this, you know, really powerful story about in 2000, uh, in about 2003, there was about 10,000 women who marched um, from MLK Park to the White House. And, you know, it was encircled by police. There wasn't really an ability for them to enter. And Alice Walker, who we know is, you know, a famous author who wrote The Color Purple, was able to affect one of the officers, you know, with one of her speeches. And this officer, um, a fellow Black person was, you know, saying, I can't go home to my wife and, and tell her that, you know, the her favorite author wasn't able to enter because of me. So just things like that, when we see how emotions and being able to move people with your words is super important at Code Pink and especially for IWD amongst other women. You know, there was also another activist there, um, a nuclear disarmament activist, Helen Caldecott, who was, you know, moving the crowd with words like diplomacy, not bombs, uh, women united will never be defeated. And it's it's fascinating to see 
and fortunate that 20 years later, we're still doing um, the same type of, you know, movements, actions, how after the war on terror, we're still seeing the same amount of taxpayer dollars being stolen and used to kill millions of people. So I think, you know, diving into that history, it was inspiring to see, you know, how in 2003, there was that mobility, there was that community that we still see today. You know, that's something that I love, but it was also a little you know, unfortunate to see that we're still having the same struggle, the same fight. But as well, you know, the part that Jody emphasized was that there's a big sense of community, you know, on that day in 2003. Um, you know, today we still see that same sense of togetherness, of courage, of laughter and love at the center of things that we do, not only for IWD, but every day and amongst other feminists. And I think that these powerful disruptions really do take courage. You know, this that day in 2003, there was several arrests. You know, Alice Walker got arrested. Other folks got arrested as well. Um, but it takes courage to be vulnerable and to be able to speak out and be able to, you know, move people with the way you speak. Um, you know, there's some other examples that she had mentioned to me that I, you know, found fascinating. And I hope one day we can implement for future IWD actions. You know, we have the walk in their shoes where you lay out um, shoes of people to represent those who are being killed by bombs, by violence. Um, there's um, bloody hands where these veteran mothers, you know, put red paint on their hands. And we're going up to senators and saying, you know, this you are causing this type of pain and like suffering amongst families. And, you know, some people might think that this is more theatrical and, you know, these types of demonstrations are doing too much. But these are the reality of war and patriarchy. And I think, you know, evoking these emotions to highlight the atrocities of militarism, violence, exploitation is something fundamental for Code Pink and its history. And that's something that I'm always going to love. I'm always going to wanna um, inspire others to do and to educate. Awesome, thank you so much for that. And it actually really reminds me so I was going through all of like our Pink Tank archives. We have so many on copink.org.com. Um, and I came across, we, on our 100th International Women's Day Code Pink tank, um, there was a quote from Zanab Salbi, the co-founder of Women for Women. And she was there. Um, in 2010. And she had this quote that reads, as I reflect today on a century of progress, I am given pause when I consider the harsh realities of life for millions of women around the world. Women for whom survival remains a supreme challenge and empowerment remains a foreign concept. The women marching today protest the fact that women make up 70% of world's poor, 75% of the civilians killed in war along with their children and, according to United Nations, receive only 10% of global income for 66% of the world's work. They reject the narratives of violence and poverty they have inherited. Like peace begins, like, like life, peace begins with women. We are the first forge, we are the first to forge lines of alliance and collaboration across conflict divides. And it was just insane to me to read this quote because I just feel like it rings so true today especially with the current feminist uprisings that we're seeing uh like we're seeing in iran um of which are in response to masa amini's death but also to a con 
but also in response to a continuation of a four decade long uh, percolation of longtime grievances. And um, although these are protests against the morality police and the current regime, they're also fighting for the core values and oppressions of the patriarchy, both in the streets and at home. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it's just crazy to see in relevance to what we were seeing in 2010, how relevant those quotes are now. And I think we both work on this. We both worked on this event for so long and many other similar initiatives at Code Pink. Uh, and we see that Code Pink has a historical pattern of exemplifying the need to intertwine how we organize against militarism and how we organize against the patriarchy. I'm wondering if this has affected Issa, your organizing in any way um, and how you organize in your own city and in your own community. Yeah, thanks, Grace. I absolutely love this question. I feel like it's super relevant to work that I'm doing within my community. I'm Located in East Los Angeles, and if folks know, this is a predominantly Mexican, Mexican-American neighborhood. A uh, high number of undocumented um, folks in my area. And I think it's super important when I'm doing organizing, when I'm doing anything, when I'm living my day-to-day -day life, to bring up how militarism and how patriarchy, you know, is at the root cause of any of the suffering that we do see within our community, especially within the household, unfortunately, you know, machismo culture it thrives, you know, um, within our society, within our economy. And I think that, you know, given the high domestic violence rates, you know, the high crime rates in my area, it's super important to have these conversations with women because, you know, they are sadly the victims of this type of violence. Um, you know, not only do they experience it at home, whether with their family members, with their partners, but also in their their day to day life in their work. And I think, you know, another example of how it's important to have these conversations is because sometimes, you know, I wouldn't say ignorance, but of just not knowing certain things can gravely affect future generations. I'm going to give you an example. Um, in my community, it's very common for army recruiters to come and speak, you know, with students at high schools and middle schools, sometimes even younger, which is, you know, daunting to me. But this is an example of how, you know, immigrant communities, vulnerable communities, people of lower socioeconomic backgrounds are kind of being fed stories of upward mobility, join the army, you'll have a secure job, you'll get free college and tuition. And it starts to perpetuate sort of a cycle within my community of, you know, people making uneducated decisions of joining the army, of supporting the army, of their daughter, their son being sent to the army. And it really just highlights how, you know, our government is not doing what needs to be done in order to support, you know, immigrants to support people of color to support you know those of lower um income levels and i just think that while organizing these conversations are fundamental to me you know you know talking to my my grandma my aunt my neighbor about how the war economy is you know at the root cause of why war not only continues but also why exploitation is um is continuing why you know lower um salaries are you know a huge thing in my community but not only that I think it's important 
that we recognize that the in that these themes perpetuate inequity amongst women, but also explaining how these cycles can be broken. And I think the more conversations, the more organizing, the more you speak to women, you know, as you just mentioned, like life, peace begins with women, you know, they, to an extent, control the household, the information that you're fed. So I think these conversations are essential. I love to have them. They're challenging at times, you know, sometimes there's not certain words in Spanish to, to you know, really um, express, you know, the war economy and how we should move to a local peace economy, things like that. But it's, it's essential. And I do see amongst my generation, you know, those being inspired um, by other women, by other, you know, folks like here at Code Pink, where we can see that being visible for peace and for the planet is what is needed, especially when we live in a patriarchal, in a militaristic society like the United States. Thank you so much for that personal example. And it's it reminded me so much of the conversations that I have. I'm a graduate student um, in a WGS department. And something that you mentioned in response to like both, like those who work both in the public and private sector, like working at home, working domestically, like in the house and the importance of that community aspect. I've, re I've read so many articles of like the importance and it's like, it sounds it sounds different because it's not like we don't research this to a high extent, but the importance of like gossip and like community like conversations and like how that keeps women, queer folks, marginalized folks safe because you know what's going on with your within your community. And I don't know, I was think I was reflecting on that in terms of International Women's Day because it is something that is so rooted in communal values and also in protest and in striking um like it was in 1857 on march 8th in new york city that garment workers went on strike because of such horrific like working conditions endless hours and low pay demanding for better money and better working conditions and they were deterred and dispersed by the police and it, it's like I don't know. I just think the importance of that communal aspect and like knowing what to know in your community and keeping people safe by like that communal like and and I say gossiping in such a positive term because, yeah, it's like you need to know what's going on in your community. And that's that's how these these days get started. And that's how these community aspects get started. And I don't know. I just I was reflecting so much on that. Um and and how it's connected to militarism and how like rhetoric and language is connected to militarism because yeah that's what the united states tries to do is it try to say that oh we're being equitable by by engaging all people in the war economy like we're we're wanting to draft all people we're wanting to draft women we're wanting to include women in the draft and and that's not equi what equity is right and I don't know. That was a tangent but it, it really reminded me of of what you were talking about in terms of like having military contractors like in high schools and in places where people are most vulnerable because they're young and because they want to support their family and they're be being like fed this rhetoric of oh you're supporting your family because we're gonna pay for your college and we're gonna do all of this stuff and we're gonna give you a lifelong career when they don't know the effects of militarism and how it's, it's hurting themselves and their community and 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 their country you know um so crazy tangent but 
Um, similarly, though, I did want to reflect on the theme of 2023's International Women's Day, which is embrace equity, calling for the social, economic, cultural and political advancement of all people. And this reminds me of a quote from Dr. Tithi Bhattachara, an associate professor of the South Asian History Department at Purdue University and also a member of the Feminist Foreign Policy Project here at Code Pink. And she, in a past discussion, discussed what a feminist foreign policy meant to her in terms of her own research. And she wrote that she described a feminist foreign policy as no feminist bombs, no feminist drones, and no feminist war. Feminist foreign policy does not look like women being put in these positions to push the button and bomb civilians or enact imperialist agendas. Simply by putting women in positions of power does not mean that they're going to act in feminist agendas. And she continues with feminist foreign policy does not mean putting women in the power of destructive imperialist companies, departments, and sector sectors of society that promote uh, the war economy. And we talk a lot about this at Code Pink, uh, understanding that equity, equity does not look like necessarily putting women in power and putting women in power and in charge of setting off the bombs and putting ridiculous amounts of money towards war and warmongering and intelligence. Um, so I wanted to know, long story short, Isa, what does a feminist feminist foreign policy look like to you? Um, I know a lot of our listeners at the beginning of Women's History Month and around International Women's Day would love some examples from our campaigns and those that we are in community with. Yeah, great question. Great points. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, often can fall victim to the propaganda that we see from the media, you know, things that are emphasizing how, um, you know, women in power, women in power, women in power, you know, I see someone that looks like me, that doesn't really hold value if these people don't, you know, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk. Um, an example that I often think back on and of what I don't want <laughs> would be when Amy Barrett was, you know, appointed as a Supreme Court justice, a lot of folks were like, but it's a woman, but it's a woman. But you need to think, you know, about what do these women in power stand for? Are they going to vote for something violent, such as drones? Are they going to try to ban abortions, things like this? We need, if we want feminist foreign policy, if we want any type of feminism within our policy making, we need to ensure that these folks are, you know, trying to uplift things that are life affirming, things that are like an improved life. Thank you so much, Issa, for that response. And I think it really both goes into the roots of IWD, but also into the roots of Code Pink and Code Pink uh, supporting IWD. Um, from our, our uh, mission statement, uh, we are a grassroots feminist organization working not only to end U.S. warfare and imperialism and to support peace and human rights initiatives, but redirecting those resources into healthcare, education, green jobs, and other, as you said, life-affirming programs. Um, life-affirming programs are investments in social programs that uplift human dignity instead of tearing it down, like war and violence and punitive action does and policing and surveillance does. We believe here at Code Pink that universal health care must include the right to an abortion, access to education, and must not be determined by an income bracket. And, and that housing is a human right, that employment and education 
and community and family is a human right. Um, so I thank you so much for really bringing that home and and recontextualizing why International Women's Day is so important to not only celebrate and reflect on, but to also understand where we've come from and where those roots will take us into the future, how, how we will divest from weapons companies and war and surveillance and policing um, and where we will reinvest that money and that time and that energy into. Uh, I thank you, Isa, and I thank all of you for engaging with our work and our International Women's Day Coalition of 2023. I also want uh, all of you to check out our events on March 18th, uh, the 20-year anniversary of the criminal U.S. invasion of Iraq. There are plenty of events on our website with our partners, the Answer Coalition and the People's Forum. Currently, there are in-person rallies in D.C., Chicago, Detroit, Ann Arbor, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and more to come. And you can look at all of these events on www.codepink.org slash March 18th. Thank you all so much for listening to Code Pink Radio, presented by WBAI in New York City, WPFW in Washington, D.C., KPFT in Houston, and KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. Bush and Bin Laden, you think they're foes? They're in business together. Daddy Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil. We know there's a link. They say Code War. We say Code Pink. It's blood for oil. We know there's a link. They say Code War. We say Code Pink. Code Pink for freedom. Code Pink for peace. Code Pink to hunger. was not Iraq, but Iran. They, they feed you lies, don't want you to think. They say code terror, we say code pink. They feed you lies, don't want you to think. They say code terror, we say code pink. Code pink, freedom. Code pink, for peace. Code pink, to hunger and war have ceased. Code pink, for women, boys, men, and girls. Together we'll Curtail our speech, our movement, our rights, but we won't give up. We're about to fight with the wave of the flag, our liberty shrink. They say code fear, we say code pink. With the wave of the flag, our liberty shrink. They say code fear, we say code pink. Code pink for freedom, code pink for peace, code pink to hunger. We stay coping!